welcome to episode two of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast. Today's episode is all about finding hope in times of loss. We arrived at Stephen Hill at Stockport and we were escorted up to the sonography mm. section, which is where anyone goes for a normal yep. check. And the sonographer confirmed that there was no heartbeat and the baby had died. I just remember putting a hand on my knee and saying, I'm really sorry. It's time to be your best version of you. No fluff, no nonsense, only practical ways for you to be your own extraordinary. We learn from the real stories of real people who've been there and survived the life challenges that we all face. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. Welcome to the rediscovery of me. I'm your host, Holly Hartley. Hello, my lovelies, and welcome to episode two of the Life Stories podcast. Before we dive right in, have you clicked subscribe yet? Remember, more subscribers helps to grow the show so that more people can find it and we can encourage them to share their stories. I'm an indie podcaster. I had to actually Google what that meant. But what I do know is that I need you people. So do click like and subscribe. Let's get cracking with episode two. I'm delighted to be joined on today's show by one of my very, very dear friends and one of the most inspirational people I have the absolute pleasure of knowing. On the 9th of May 2014, Jilly gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, Elliot Thomas Hallam. Elliot was born at 36 weeks and 6 days, weighing 6 pounds and 4 ounces. Tragically, Elliot was stillborn. Through donating Elliot's organs to research after his death, Jilly and her husband Tommy have played a critical role in furthering scientific understanding of the incidence of stillbirth. Today, Jilly's gone on to have two more beautiful children and she's now a mum to three gorgeous boys. She's here today to share with us her story of how a new mum copes in the face of such tragedy. There is always hope, she says. She is the very gorgeous Jilly Hallam. Hi. Hi. Are we all right? I'm really well. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on to your show. No, thank you so, so much for coming on and for agreeing to tell your story. Well, the story of, of Elliot, you, Tommy, and of course, the beautiful Ralph and Hector yeah. too. You know, subjects like this, I think, aren't discussed enough. And I really applaud your willingness to be so open and give topics like this a voice because I think it's so important. It's it's time to break the silence on these tragic stories because it's just one of those things in life that happens and we just have to work our way forward to move forward, which we've been able to do with having Ralph and Hector. Which is why you are such an incredible inspiration. Thank you, that's nice. So let's start off. You know, when you first got pregnant with Elliot, you're going to be a mum for the first time. What was that like? Oh, amazing. Very exciting. You do a pregnancy test and then you think... Mm. No, I'm not sure. I'll do another one. So, uh, super excited, told Tommy. He was excited, probably a little bit nervous. Yeah. Oh, my word, my, my life's about to change. And we had a really good pregnancy. It was really, really good. Happy, bit of the normal icky, icky, sicky feeling at the beginning. But all, you know, that passed. I had a bit of an unusual time. Normally they say, oh, any bleeding, you need to seek medical advice, yep. which I did, but they said it was just normal for me, so that was fine. 
Uh, that actually happened in my later pregnancies as well. So when it did, I wasn't worried about it. I had to take, you know, the normal, all the normal drugs that you have to take when mm -hmm. you're pregnant, your folic acid and they did blood tests and everything was fine. So a normal, exciting, yeah. healthy, happy pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was really happy for us. We had sweepstakes running at work for sex, date and weight. That was all really good fun because everybody, being a hairdresser in a busy industry, everybody knows everything. Yeah, sure, Everyone sure. knows. <clears throat> and it's an industry where, industry where you share news and yes, excitement. Yes, it is. Well, it's, and... well it, we've always been known for being gossipers and hairdressers. <laughs> so, of course, as soon as I was pregnant, everyone knew. Yeah. And everyone was so happy because we were married. You know, everything was the way we wanted it to be. It's a textbook. Yeah, yeah, textbook. And a very public pregnancy. Very, yeah. You know, everybody knew. All the whole village where we lived. So that was, that was, that was good. Um, and then... We obviously got further down the line mm -hmm. and things were a little bit different. But up until then, we didn't really know much about mm. stillbirth. We'd heard about people having miscarriages and other friends had had times in their life where pregnancies hadn't gone quite to plan. Mm -hmm. We've got close friends that had, had a baby early and that was that was hard for everybody because everyone's watching the family struggle through something so mm, traumatic. Absolutely. But they've got a beautiful young little girl now and she's she's marvellous. Yeah, So girl. you see different things happening through life and you think, oh, well, that's not going to happen to me. And I think as well, you know, when we're pregnant, there's something within us that makes us steer away from considering and confronting those kinds of issues of the things that can happen whilst being pregnant. And I think the, the the pregnancy industry is so, and rightly so, you know, full of joy and excitement and celebration yeah. that we don't allow ourselves that headspace to consider that things can go wrong. Of course. We're, we're in a bubble. We think, oh, this is marvellous. We're going to have a baby. Mm. Everything's mm. going to be perfect. You don't think of the what ifs and the mm. buts until it happens absolutely and then you deal with it and I see it now that I could possibly offer support to people that have been in similar situations or yeah not advise them because I don't really you know I can't tell them a medical reason for what's happened but of course we can tell them what happened to us if they want to know and how we got through it and how we are here today with two beautiful or three three boys that's something I find a little bit hard sometimes. If somebody says to you, and I've got my boys with me, my two mm. boys, Ralph mm. and Hector, oh, are these your boys? Oh, have you just got two? In that moment, and you think, do I know you well enough to open up, not a can of worms, but, you know, tell the upset, truth. Or tell the truth, because you're worried that you're going to upset them yeah. by saying, oh, well, yeah, had had another little boy, but he died, and then... Then, of course, they're mortified and they think, oh, why did he ask? But that's human nature. And when, as well, when we'd got married, everyone used to say, oh, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to yeah. be pregnant? People don't know if you've been trying for years. Mm. It's a, But it's because we want that happy time to occur with people. Yeah. 
I, I think, you know, those kinds of personal difficulties, be it a bereavement, be it an inability to get pregnant, you know, they play out so publicly. But, yes, it is. But it's almost a contradiction because people's responses to them are so deeply personal. So I know you and I have spoken before about, yeah. you know, further down the line, after you'd given birth, that people had crossed the street from you. I remember my mum saying to me, you know, when my dad died, that there were some friends that just couldn't speak to my mum anymore because they just didn't know what to say. And I think a lot of people get embarrassed because... Yeah, there are, it's, it's, it's their own way of dealing with it. It might not always feel the right way for us, but for them, they probably actually feel guilty if they did cross the road. Mm. Whereas you've got people that come, and what I found a lot is people told me what had happened to them. Yeah. And it was almost like them going, I'm not saying, oh, I know what you're going through, but I know you'll get through it and it'll be okay. And that's what I'm sure people will get from hearing you today. Yeah, that you can get through it and you're enough. That's the big, that's the big thing is you are enough. Mm. People are amazing in who we are and we've got to love ourselves. That's a, the rediscovery of me <laughs> is learning to love ourselves and then you can love other people. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about what, what happened then. When did you first start to, start to notice that something was wrong? And, you know, let, let's put a health warning in here. You and I are not medical professionals. And for any pregnant ladies who are listening, you know, we absolutely urge and encourage that should you be worried about anything at all, that you must see your midwife or your GP. Yeah, definitely. Because we know our bodies. Listen to your body. If you think... Mm, I don't feel right today or anything. Even if it doesn't feel linked to your pregnancy, get it checked mm. because you'll feel reassured. Yeah. And then for any any reason, God forbid, that something did go wrong, you've done everything. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's the movement, that's the big thing. The movement is important. Babies move and they it, wriggle. And, and it was that 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 triggered something in yeah. you. You'd been through quite a traumatic event with the loss of your I'd lost beloved a pet. dog. Yeah, and I was really sad about it. And I was due to finish work, so I was back in work the next day after I'd lost a dog the night before and just didn't feel right. Felt quite uncomfortable. Bit, mm -hmm. And the baby just felt heavy. Mm -hmm. Now, I know people have said that later into your pregnancies, babies drop, you know, they go they go lower. So I just thought that's what was happening. I just thought it was a coincidence that something was happening. But I just didn't feel right. So I went to my doctor's surgery in my lunchtime uh, with one of the young ladies and said, I just don't feel right. And the receptionist was very nice. Um, oh, is it your first? Are you a new mum? Because that's what people don't, want to mm. assume that anything's wrong even medical people don't so I decided that I wanted to pursue it and I said no I want to see somebody I just want someone to listen in with a stethoscope or whatever you use and just make sure the baby's heartbeat's fine so I was sent down to see the midwife at a different surgery and they managed she just got me straight in listened in heartbeat was there I was fine still sad about my pet yeah was getting on with it. She advised me to go down, strongly advised me to go down to Stepping Hill, but me being me, I wanted to get back to work and get on with my customers because I'd only got 10 days to finish these lovely customers before going on maternity leave. And I knew I was going to be off for a period of time. You know, I'm quite um, 
practical person wanted to get on. Mm -hmm. So I went back to work. Still just didn't feel right. And I kept mentioning it to the girls at work and they were reassuring me saying, I'm sure it's fine, you know, and they kept asking me, is everything all right? You feeling all right? But I suppose they didn't at the same time want to keep going on about it. And that evening, I still just didn't feel right. Felt, felt, and it wasn't moving the same. Um, but we we decided then, I was at my midwife check the next day and went for my midwife check, went, walked up in my dinner time. Husband was at work, so I said, listen, you're going to have a couple of weeks off in a few weeks. Don't take any more time off. I'm just going for my normal check. It's all fine. Anyway, the midwife then, who was really hot on getting the heartbeat, usually couldn't pick the heartbeat up. But it had happened to my sister-in-law a couple of years previous with her first son, and she had to go down to Stepping Hill because they couldn't find the heartbeat. Anyway, they got there and it was fine. So this is at the back of my mind, and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm like my sister-in-law, it'll be fine, who was at the time pregnant with her daughter, and we were due a couple of weeks apart. So we'd both been going to midwife checks and telling each other what was going on, and it was all fine. So at this point, you weren't overduly concerned? No, no, because I just thought, mm. I, I was a bit oblivious, I suppose, mm. a bit shocked, bit but shocked, not... Yeah. But not upset because I just thought oh I've got to go to Stepping Hill and I was I was worried about my customers thinking oh bloody neck you know I've not got many more days I can't fit people in that's what was at the back of my mind mm. not concerned for myself or the baby mm. I didn't know the baby I know the baby was inside me but I didn't it I'd not met it yet mm. so I didn't have a full connection with it some people you know were they find out the sex of the baby, and I suppose there is a different connection once you know what the sex is, but we didn't. So my husband came, the girls at work were a bit cross that I'd been able to leave the midwife, but I'm a strong-headed person <laughs> and practical, and I just said, come on, well, I've got to go to Stepping Hill, I need to go and get my bag. I wanted my bag, and I wanted my things from work. I was thinking I was going to be back in work two hours later, Got down to Stepping Hill and my husband was reassuring me all the way. Tom was amazing. It's going to be all right. Whatever happens, we've got each other. It's going to be fine. I remember him strongly saying things like that. Do you anyway, think he was concerned at that point? He knew, but I think he just thought, I don't know. I mean, I'd said there was no heartbeat. And I think deep down he probably knew before me almost. Yeah. So he was already giving me the support, but he was, I suppose, getting ready for them to say preparing preparing yeah and as as hard as you are even men get upset you know yeah, and it's course. and I'm glad that they can show the feelings sometimes because we think they're superhuman mm. we and we are just human beings mm. we're allowed to be upset that's a strong thing nowadays people talk about that actually the man's allowed to be as upset as mm. a lady they don't have to be big and tough and go off and hide in a corner and not let anybody know they're upset. I've heard many male friends and, you know, my own husband say the same thing as well, that, you know, that, that for their wife or partner to be pregnant and then have to give birth is, whilst it's an empowering thing, actually they feel pretty helpless at times. Yeah, and they're scared that they're watching their wife grunting and pushing and yeah. all of that. 
and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. And you want to protect your loved ones and you can't. Of course you do. Of course you do. So you arrived at Stepping Hill. Yes. We arrived at Stepping Hill at Stockport and we were escorted up to the scan, the sonography mm. section, which is where anyone goes for a normal yep. check. And the sonographer confirmed that there was no heartbeat. The baby had died. And she, I just remember her putting a hand on my knee and saying, I'm really sorry. And I kind of felt like saying, oh, why can't can't you can't you do it today? I just didn't really take it in. But then, of course, the shock came in and we were upset. Mm. And we probably, I don't know how long we were in that room. It didn't feel very long. But then at the same time, I felt like I'd been there forever. And was it just you and Tommy with her or did you have somebody specialist in with you as well? Somebody, the sonographer said, I'll just give you some time. So she went out of the room and I felt so sorry for her because delivering that news to somebody must be awful. And I'm saying to her, oh, I'm really sorry. But they 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 know how yeah, to deal with people. Of... So she was very good and stepped out of the room. There was another lady who had taken us, escorted us down because the midwife in New Mills, you see, had rung through and said, I'm sending somebody down. So they yeah, were expecting yeah. us. We were down within probably 40 minutes of, yeah. of being told. And this lady, at one point I said, I was cross that this lady was still standing there. And I said, can you just give us some time? And I was a bit sharp with her. But then, of course, and I'm thinking, oh, I've just been rude to that lady. But you're in shock. So we were upset. We both had a cry. And I said, right, come on, let, we better get up. They're going to need the room in a minute. They need, you know, they might have someone else coming in after us. Mm. So I'm thinking, come on, let's not keep people waiting. So out we go and... We went up to the Sandalwood unit, which is on the maternity level at Stepping Hill. But it's in a special wing, if you like, to one side. So you're not with all the new mums. And were there other people in there as well? Or no, the only no. Ones? we were the only ones. But they probably do need another, they probably need another room because there's so many stillborns happening. Wow. You know, there's, there's I don't know exactly the figures of how many there are a day at Stepping Hill, but... There's more than one, certainly, in the country at the at one time. Yeah, I mean, I've got some stats here. The, the, you know, it's from the UK charity Tommy that says the numbers are going down and 2017 had the lowest stillbirth rate in the UK since records began, but that nine babies are stillborn every day in the UK, which meant that in 2017, one in every 225 births ended in a stillbirth. I, you know, I never knew it was that high. Yeah, there's... Well, we didn't... Until, of course, this happened. Yeah. And then you hear of it happening. Well, at the same time that it happened to us, in the local area, it happened to three other ladies. Well, wow. three, I'm sorry, three including me. Yeah. All at the same time. The all, midwife. All as, yeah. as far through their pregnancy as you. I think so. Or they're, you know, they're about close. And the midwife that was dealing with us, I think, was nearly ready to hang her out because it upset her. Yeah. It really hit home to her. Because you feel responsible. You feel like it was... I'm sure she probably felt like she should have done something else, but there was nothing she could have done. Absolutely. Especially with me being the practical person that I was that wanted to just get on. Mm. So, we, yeah, we were down at Stepping Hill. We went into the Sandalwood unit and... They explained all of our options, explained everything that was going to happen. And do they give you a... a- some different choices, some different options of the things that you can do? We just assumed that they were going to do a caesarean and they were going to just take the baby out and they were just going to get rid of it. 
we didn't really know what was going to happen, but they explain what's going to happen. They don't talk, they weren't really talking about the after bit yeah. right there and then. Yeah. We had to consent to things about what they were going to do to me, uh, drugs, mm. and they sort of talked us through the process, but they could have probably told me a lot of things, but it wasn't sinking in. Of course. We, we spoke as well earlier, um, obviously prior to the podcast, about um, how that's changed over the years, how, you know... Years and years ago, babies were just yeah delivered and, and took away, taken away, and then you'd go home and cook your supper. You know, it was my my grandma had a stillborn baby. I didn't know this till after I'd had a stillborn. Mm. But back then, it was it was different because I suppose they didn't know how to deal with people's feelings. Mm. Mm. I don't know how people cope back then, but I suppose it was very much of the attitude, right? Get on, yeah. And I, I'm a bit like that still. You know, you've got to get. Get on and get forward. If you don't get up in the morning, you can't get to the next day. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a practical person. And I'm like, right, come on, what are we going to do about it then? But there, there are services now that support you to yes. be There's moving forward in that way. In the hospital, there was different people coming to see us, different specialists. Mm. There was midwives that were probably trained a bit more in these areas. Yeah. A lot of the midwives just have to you know, deal with it is they find it because you might become a midwife the first week into your training, you might have to deal with a stillborn yeah. and you've just got to get on with it. They will be trained on paper, but till you've actually done something practical, you've you've got to have these people to find out what it's about. Oh, it's like things in life, you know, the learning is in the doing. Yes, it is. So when you went into the Sandalwood unit and you found out that it wasn't just going to be a simple procedure, well, it's never a simple procedure, is it? But, you know, a matter of, a C-section, delivering the child and then going home. What what actually does happen? So they explained to us, they gave me a pill and they explained that I was going to go home and basically wait for labour to start. So I suppose it was being induced. Yeah. There's different ways of being induced. So usually when I, when I had Ralph and Hector, they induced me at 38 weeks because that was a safe time to do it. The babies were fully formed by that point because I'd had lots of scans. Yeah. But with Elliot, they could induce me because it might be that he his natural, I suppose, pushing down, babies start to come themselves, but he wasn't going to be helping. So they needed to help me yeah. assist with getting him out. And they didn't want it to be go home and deliver natural when it comes. Mm. So they induced me and... And that was on the Wednesday. That was on the Wednesday. So they sent me home and said, come back on the Friday. But wow. prior to that, we'd seen doctors that explained the process of what was going to happen. So they said, I was going to go into labour because yeah. they wanted me to do it as natural as possible. Because if you can do it natural, your body recovers quicker mm -hmm. because you've not got scars and cuts. Mm -hmm. It may have been that they might have had to have done a cesarean, but we'd cross that bridge when it came to it. And it is better for future babies. So they were already talking about future babies, future mm. pregnancies. So that was good because it was a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And then they explained that there was drug options mm -hmm. because I hadn't learned any of those. I didn't know anything. I'd not been to any antenatal classes mm -hmm. because I was about to do the antenatal classes. And Confront the reality of oh yeah the, the joy shock that of what's about to happen because I was oblivious didn't know 
even though I got to 30, I didn't know the facts of having babies, even till having Elliot, literally in the delivery mm. theatre, I didn't realise there was early stage labour, there was established labour, there was delivery. <laughs> I didn't know there was all these different stages. I'd not read too many books because I didn't want to scare myself. Yeah. When my mum was pregnant with my brother, my grandma scared her by saying, oh, it, I, I was cut open and all of this happened to me when I was having the children. So my mum at that point rang her mum and said, I don't want this baby anymore, it's going to hurt. <laughs> so mum was really good and saying, it'll be fine. So you, you, know? so you were in this kind of joyous bubble and obviously you then find out this news and you're having to confront then really what's going to happen. Yeah, then you're a bit scared because you think, well got to do all this work and I'm not going to get anything out of it. Wow. So you you had to go home between the Wednesday and the Friday. That's what and, they told us. And at, at that point, that was the, the time at which you shared your news with your loved ones, with yeah. your family. Yeah. I rang my dad from hospital to tell my dad because I suppose the first phone call that you make to anybody, it's making it real. Yeah. I rang my dad. We rang Tom's mum. Mm -hmm. because they were important people that had to know first. And they um, obviously knew at this point that there was something going on. Yes, yeah, we'd rang them and said, oh, no, my parents didn't, we'd just gone. No, they didn't know we'd even gone to right, hospital. Right. The only people that knew were the girls at work, who were really close to me, you know, mm. I, I, you're at work all the time, they're as much your family as anybody, aren't they? So I rang my dad, Tom rang his mum, we told them, I just remember my dad being really sad. But not crying, you know, he wasn't crying. He just said, oh, my goodness, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I said, can you tell mum? They were at work, so my dad had to go and tell my mum in her office. And I was worried about how my mum was going to take it. And I rang um, the girls at work. And they were obviously shocked. They mm -hmm. had to deal with the customers that were, they were doing and tell the people that were in at the time. And my customers were in mm. because they'd still come to the salon. And I was upset about that, thinking, oh, they've, they've got to tell all my clients. So we told everybody and we got home and the, we we dealt with it a bit at home, Told, made sure family knew. And then later on, I think it was the day after, I put it on Facebook mm. because I needed people to know. It was a fact. And I remember writing something to the effect of it just wasn't meant to be. Mm. That's how I saw it. It wasn't meant to be. But we had to just get through this next time. So I'm still not upset at this point. I've been upset in the stenographer's office. Got home. Was brave. And I remember not crying. I just didn't cry. I didn't cry till after he was born then. So you, you went back to the hospital on the Friday to, to we give went, birth? We went back on Thursday night because... I was getting contractions. They were already starting because at work on the Wednesday, before I'd gone for midwife check, I'd had a bit of movement and I'd been to the bathroom and I thought, oh, I remember coming downstairs and one of the girls said, what's up? You look a bit sheepish. And I went, I think it's starting. I was dead. I remember being dead excited. Yeah. Thinking, oh, it's happening. <laughs> it's coming. Anyway, um, so my body naturally must have been ready for something to happen. So it was progressing a little bit quicker than I wanted it to happen at home. So we decided to ring the hospital and they just said, come down, come in. So we did and we were up then till he was born. So that was on the Thursday. Tried to have some rest. Tom was really good. He was resting, eating a lot. He, like, he has to eat. I hadn't even packed a bag because I wasn't ready because that was what I was going to do with my, my two weeks before the baby came. Yeah. 
Um, my sister-in-law was brilliant. She helped me. And we'd been talking about what to put in the bag. Every, I think first time we'll take a whole pack of nappies to hospital. She said, you don't need that many. When you're packing your bag for a normal birth, you probably need maybe 10 because you're hoping to come home the next day with this new bundle of joy. Mm. Sainsbury's is down the road. Tesco's is open 24 hours a day. It's, there's nothing you can't get. You don't, you know, you don't need all these suitcases to take to hospital. So without thinking, we'd put a few nappies in. Not, not even thinking we weren't going to need them. But they do, they do dress the babies after. And I took an outfit that my mum had bought earlier in my pregnancy, but she'd bought a tiny baby, like premature baby. And I said to her when she bought it, I remember saying, Mum, what have you bought this for? We don't need that. We're going to have a big baby. We're all big. And that's the one that we turned out to need. We needed that one because it was small. So I grabbed a few bits, went down to hospital, and then labour started to progress. They started talking to us about what was going to happen. And they then needed consent for what was going to happen to his body afterwards. We had to talk about what was going to happen with his body because we decided that if we could do anything to learn from this, we were going to. Mm -hmm. We said, yeah, if you can use his organs, but it wasn't that they could use them because he was, he was dead. There was no organs that were alive. But they were able to do it and research and look at it and maybe see if there was a problem, why he died. Mm -hmm. So that was, we were happy for anything to good come out of it, if Absolutely. that makes sense. Yeah, that's total sense. You know, I, I applaud you for being so generous in a time of such tremendous grief. Yeah, well, if you can if you can try and learn something, it means that maybe one less person might come good out of it, mm. which we did. That's happened to us because had we have not had his placenta checked and his body, because it went to autopsy, yeah. but that was only going to go when we were ready to leave hospital. So not skipping ahead too far, but after he was born his body goes into a cold cot, which mm. in effect is like, I suppose, being in the morgue, mm -hmm. but the, it's it's a gentler way of doing it. Yeah. So you can then see your baby if you want to. But they are trying to preserve the body as much as they can. And it went over to Manchester to be, the autopsy was done there and the placenta was checked. So after we'd had Elliot and after we'd had Ralph and then we'd had Hector, they were able to cross-reference the three placentas and they were able to find that there is something abnormal about my placentas because you have a placenta each baby. I didn't know that till I've yeah. had babies. And during my pregnancy with Ralph, I took certain medical drugs. Not anything that was ever going to harm the baby. It was all like I suppose natural if you like and with Hector I had to take different types of drugs I took an anti-malaria tablet drug with yeah. Hector and that was what they found to be good in pregnancies like mine so had we have not had the autopsy done because we could we we were quite within our rights to say no we perhaps wouldn't have found that out and mm. it might have been that we might not have had a successful pregnancy with Ralph so we were glad it's made, yeah. it, it yeah. helped us yeah so Going back to the birth, at this point, you still weren't aware that you were actually about to have a little boy. No, we didn't know what sex of the baby was. And we were quite closed about decisions. We didn't know what we wanted to do. The hospital knew because we were. I was quite strong in saying, I don't know if I want to even look at the baby. I don't know if I want to. I suppose I was scared of missing the baby by 
the more you know about them, the more you miss. Of course. But then as a being Mother Nature, you're curious. And once we were getting to the process of the labour, because it was beginning to start, the midwives are amazing. They're amazing. They're, they're just so good at the job. And we faultless, but we, they were talking to us all the time because we weren't really left on our own. I suppose in case we were scared or we wanted to ask questions. But they were very good at advising me to take lots of drugs. So mm. I was very happy to take them. Yeah. I don't know what I'd have done <laughs> had it have been a normal a normal birth and knowing the outcome was going to be good. Maybe I would have gone a bit, tried to be a bit tougher. But I just said, give me some drugs. They said, Jenny, we want you Jenny, to be I'm as comfortable. We want you to be as comfortable as you can. Yeah, so I, I made sure I was as comfortable as I could be both times too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I was with the, the second and third. Yeah. Um, so I was not pain-free, but certainly a lot more comfortable than I would have been had I have had no pain relief. But because, unfortunately, he died, he wasn't helping to come out. So it was 36 hours in labour. Wow. It was quite a long time. Wow. But that went quite quickly. I just remember Tom being sat on the side of me, eating his eating his roast dinner that they brought for him because, of course, they looked after him as well. Yeah, great. I think possibly, so. possibly a little bit more than some dads maybe get usually yeah. because the mum's the priority. The, the dads are just a, a spare part, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. you know, get, get on. Uh, and I couldn't eat because I didn't have an epidural. And I was so hungry. <laughs> and I was so cross. They just kept saying, oh, just have a sip of water. And I'm thinking, I want a roast dinner. I don't, I don't want to sit here and... Because I've got a good appetite. I like yeah. my food. <laughs> and during the, the labour process, the different midwives, because we saw a few different midwives, because, of course, they've got to come and go off shift. Mm. And the different people were different. There was one... F- midwife at the very beginning she was very old school very matter of fact come on get on this ball get bouncing let's get this baby out and was that she was good for me that was good for me for some people they might have felt a bit told off Mm -hmm. by such a a, assertive yeah but that was good that's what i needed and i think maybe in those situations because it's almost like time and the rest of the world ceases to exist you're in this bubble because you're in a you're in a room yeah and life has stopped yeah and you're, but I suppose that's for every parent now when they're about to give birth. You're yeah. the centre of attention, no matter what the outcome is, at that moment in time. And you've allowed, I, I quite allowed the midwives to do things for me. And I think somebody in, in any situation of great, great trauma or crisis, I think we all look to find someone who tells us what to do. Yeah, you want to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Definitely, definitely. You need guidance. Mm. And they guided us, which was which was great. So we were still seeing different doctors, different people coming in. They were explaining where I was up to. They still had monitors on, but there was monitors for me. Yeah. Normally in a normal pregnancy, they'd be listening to the heartbeat, you see. Yeah. I think a few times I asked and said, you've not found a heartbeat, have you? Mm. There was a couple of times where I just thought, I'll just check. Maybe being a bit naive, thinking they might not know what they're talking about. So, of course... I don't think that's naive, Jilly. I think that's that's real real life. They were really good, though, because they did. When I asked them to listen, they did. And they just said, no, you know, there's no change. But they were very graceful about it. They didn't... They didn't look at me like I was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember laughing and joking about silly things as well. Goggle box. 
We were talking about Gogglebox. That's something that really sticks in my head because the midwife watched it and we and we talked about that. But that was great because it got me back to reality just for a little bit. And it's all part of that coping me- mechanism as well. And I think the brain's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know. In the Sandalwood unit, they have a book which parents can write in and it's quite relative whilst you're there. It's interesting to read some of those stories because you don't feel like you're on your own. Mm. We read a story about um, a lady that had been in there four times and that did stick in my memory, you know. Yeah. She'd had four stillbirths. So what they must have been going through must have been awful. And I, I actually felt sorry for her. That was a really hard time for her. So there's lots of people. There was there was two books whilst we were there and they were current books, you mm. know. I'm sure mm. they must have had more. Mm. Some people explained, do this, do that. This is how you'll get through. Mm. This is how we got through. We didn't read the book, actually, till after Elliot had been born. And part of me wishes that I'd picked it up before, but I didn't notice it. Yeah. It wasn't pointed out. And I suppose it's there for you to find. The room is nice that you can have time to think about things. And, you you know, you are still watching the world go by. But we wrote in the book, and I wrote a lengthy little, you know, the chapter on what had happened to us. For me, what I found helped... And I would go forward to say this to anyone that if they were ever in this situation, we had the radio on mm. and normal radio, radio two, radio one. The world's still ticking by whilst you're in this moment. Mm. And it was good because we were listening to tunes that we, we enjoyed and it was a bit of continuity as well. And trying to normalise. Yeah. You said something really insightful when we, were, we weren't recording, which is when you read the book, you know, you only read the sad stories. And that's why I think you coming on today and, and sharing your story is so important because actually, whilst this has been a, a real life-changing and incredibly sad event, there is more to your life. Of course, of course. We've been able to go on and have two little boys and also all of our friends and family have got children and we're all involved in the children. We're not just, as I've said before in the past, we're not just mothers to our own children, we're mothers to other children. We're we're mothers in general. So we're enough even though... You know, we've we've got our own children. It's great. Mm. So life does go on. That's that's so important. But you don't read those stories in that unit because perhaps somebody might have had a child, then had a stillborn or a miscarriage. And it's nice to hear that there can be good outcomes as well. We actually wrote cards to all the midwives after we after it all happened, and it was a few weeks later because I wanted them to know that we were doing okay. And thank you so much for helping us to get through that hard time in our lives. Mm, incredible. You said it was only after the event, really, that kind of reality sets in. How did it feel to go home after Elliot had been born without, you know, how did it feel to go home without him? What were those weeks like? They explained when we were about to leave hospital, they gave us some different options about what to happen. We could see him again if we wanted. We could have took him home. Right. That wasn't a choice I wanted. I didn't I didn't want to take him home. Mm-hmm. And again... A practical person, you've got to get on with life. It's it might work for some people, but I know it wouldn't have worked for me. I'd have clung on to that, and you're clinging on to death, and that's quite a hard fact. It's you know it's a sad fact, but it's a fact. So we knew that we were just going to go home. The sooner I got home, the sooner I knew I could get back to life. I knew the weeks to come were going to be hard. I knew people were going to come and see us. 
but it wasn't people coming with flowers and cards to say welcome into the world this new baby it was flowers and cards to say sorry mm. you we've got sympathy for you we also were told at hospital we've, we had to decide whether we we're going to have your funeral right and you've got to think about birth certificates death certificates you've they, um, issue you with a birth certificate because you've got to have a birth certificate to get a death certificate which is something we had to go and do I suppose it's to prove that you are the correct people to get mm. a death certificate all those things that you don't think about but you've got to so from a practical point of view do you do that in the same meeting you know with the registrar you go and well, well, is there a special set of circumstances? Normally, when you have a baby, you go to, say, a registry office or the town hall. Yeah. But there's one in Stepping Hill Hospital for these special cases. Right. So we just went with our... We, we got a birth certificate because they, they fill it all in. It's a bit of a quicker process, really, because yeah. they need yeah. the death certificate to then be able to go and do autopsy and things like that. Yeah. They need to know who he is. We didn't name him till we got home because we didn't know what to do. He was known as Baby Hallam for the first, you know, period of his, li- of his life after we'd found out that he was a boy and, mm. and all that kind of thing. But after coming home and dealing with life, it's quite hard to get to reality. I, there was moments where I was very, very sad. If Tom left the room, I was um, an emotional wreck, mm. which is, uh, that's acceptable. But I didn't think it was. I felt like I shouldn't have been as upset as I was because it's not like I'd had a child and they were older and they died. I didn't know this baby. But it was, at the same time, obviously, it was a big ordeal. You've had a baby Mm. and then you've lost it. It's something you've had for a second and it's gone. So I now understand and say to anybody that if they were ever in this situation, it's allowed, you're allowed to cry. It's, It's acceptable. You've got to let your natural emotions come out because actually, if they're coming out, that's grieving and that's acceptable and it's moving forward. If you don't get upset, you're not de- well. You might not be that you're not dealing with it. Everyone's different, but I think it's good to be open. We had a service for Elliot, but only Tom and I decided to go. Nobody had met our baby. It was only us that had met him, so we chose that that was the right thing to do. Had it have been somebody that was in their 80s, everyone knows that person and they want to say goodbye. So that was what we did and that was that was the thing to do. And rightly so. Yeah, yeah. But we, we decided to call him Elliot Thomas after Tommy, because he's a Thomas Elliot, and that was so special to us. We we didn't know what to call him, we'd not really thought much about names, mm-hmm. but that was the right thing to call him. Great. Great. You you mentioned, you know, the, the, the public nature of this pregnancy and obviously there have been the sweepstakes at work and all that kind of stuff. And in the end, you did the amazing thing of donating just over £2,000 to the Sandalwood unit at Stepping Hill and brought a coal cot. Why was that so important to you? Because we knew other people were going to go through what we'd gone through. So if we could do something to help, we wanted to donate money to the Sandalwood unit Originally, we were going to give it to the neonatal unit because we didn't know another charity, but we thought with it being a baby, Mm. something related to children. But we didn't think about the stillborn side of it because it wasn't affecting us. Mm. But we thought, oh, babies, you know, being in little 
cots because they're so small. They could have bought extra bedding or that's what we'd originally thought. But I said to the girls at work, do you mind if we donate the money to the Sandalwood unit, whatever money there is there? There's about £80 in the pot. And of course, it escalated very, very fast. It was within about two weeks. My work girls had raised just over £2,000. Wow. So it was amazing. So I took about four weeks off work and was back at work quite quickly, really. That worked for me. Some people take a year off. They can't mm. can't go out the house for a year. But And there's no right or wrong? Of course there isn't. But no for rules. me, the sooner I got back to work, the sooner I could be allowed to have another baby. Yeah. I wanted to get my work underway and almost um, earn the right to be able to say I'm pregnant again. So that was that was what worked for me. But the money for the cold cot, we chose to donate to the Sandalwood unit. We spoke to the hospital quite closely in regards to where it could go. And because there are so many stillborns happening, they needed two. There isn't enough with one because that means then some of the parents aren't able to see the babies just exactly when they want to see them. The hospital very good at, at dealing with that. But it means that if someone did want to take the child home, which I've heard of, it, you know, it does happen, they're able to release the cold cot to the home because they wouldn't be preserved out of it. There's different names for them now, um, sleeping cots, because people call stillborn babies born sleeping. That's right. another phrase people will have probably heard. Stillborn is is what we were told and that's what we, we talk about. But, yeah, definitely it was a, a... Every cloud has a silver lining. Something good came out of that as well. And you've since gone on to have two more beautiful baby boys, Ralph and Hector. What I mean, what was that like? Were you able to enjoy your pregnancies? Were you scared? Yeah. I know you got a lot of support from St Mary's Hospital and in particular the Rainbow Clinic. Yeah, the Rainbow Clinic's amazing. They're so good down there. But, you know, all hospitals are good. We personally chose to use a different hospital because my husband, Tom Morso, was more persistent on perhaps trying to seek a different hospital. So there was no reminder of a sad time. Yeah. I think I would have probably been okay because they were so good at the hospital. I knew it was in safe hands. But I... I suppose it's that notion of a fresh start almost. Yeah, it's different. It's yeah. different. yeah. So we were looked after at St Mary's Hospital. I actually got in touch with the Tommy's unit through a friend who's now a very good friend who delivered Ralph and Hector. Mm. And she was able to put us in touch with a gentleman called Mr Alex Healy. He's the head of the department at St Mary's. He delivers babies. He also does all the sonography and all of the special checkups. So we were having scans probably every four weeks after 20 weeks. They get they like you to get to 20 weeks and then they're able to see a bit more, but they're very, very detailed scans. And it's the best scanning equipment in the country, in the UK. So we were so lucky to be able to have all of these special tests. So, of course, there was a lot of reassurance there. And that obviously helped you of to grow in confidence. And I was so excited about my pregnancy. I found out I was pregnant and I got a, a book and I wrote in it, you're going to be a daddy. And that was exciting. So... It was the next chapter and, of course, we then went on to have Ralph and he was delivered safely at St Mary's Hospital after being induced. All three boys were born within 19 minutes of each other at a period of time in the night. So Elliot was born at 9.45, Ralph was born... No, sorry, Elliot was born at 9.30, Ralph was born at 9.45 and Hex was born at 9.49. Wow. So, it, the, you know, that's a nice little special thing that they were all born 
in an evening at that sort of time. But we were looked after at St Mary's Hospital and the Tommy's unit are always fundraising, which you'll probably talk about after. Yeah, sure. Because it's all run on fundraising. Yeah, People, so many of these things are. Yeah. So without the help of donations and fundraising, it can't go ahead. And I think actually it's a really good use of emotional energy. I mean, you know, I, I'm not speaking from experience. I've never been through anything like you've been through. But, you know, when you... When you're in a situation and not knowing what to do and a, a pragmatist like you wants to keep putting one foot in front of the other, it's a good way to direct those energies and do something really constructive that will benefit the lives of others. Yes, it is. It gives you a focus. Mm. There's times that I think, oh, I'm going to do a charity event. I'm going to I'm going to do something. And there's lots of different things going on out there. I need to be in a really good headspace to do that. And I'm nearly there. Mm. We think about Elliot every day. We yep. talk about him. The children know about him. We hold our special little traditions that we do as a family. He was born on the 9th of May. So on that day, we always do something special. We don't, it's not a birthday. It's an anniversary. Mm -hmm. So we mark the day and that's something that we do. So maybe in the future, I might do a, an event to raise some money but you don't always want to be asking people for money all the time. So if I do it, we'll do a big event and we'll raise lots of money. Fantastic. You say, and I think this has really come across throughout the whole interview, that there's always hope. You know, tell us more. We are lucky again to have our boys and anybody in a situation, it may have just happened to them or... If it did, unfortunately, happen a longer time ago, some people are so hopeless that they're not going to see light at the end of the tunnel. And even if you then don't become a mother through natural birth, there's so many other things that you can focus your mind on in helping family and friends or just you're enough. People are enough as they are. But, yeah, hope. I, I am a great believer in fate. And my boys give me my life. And I'm able to see light at the end of the tunnel. Now, there's times when I might have a little wobble. Mm -hmm. When my niece started school, her first day of school, I saw her going to school because she was born, you know, just after we'd lost Elliot. And it was the only one time that I thought, oh, gosh, it hit me like a, like I walked into a wall. It would have been Elliot's first day at school. Mm-hmm. They'd have, been, they'd have been doing things together. I hadn't thought about other things, the first walking. I'd never really thought about that because that was poppy walk and children walk at different times. But there's not many times that I get upset because life has to move on. And it's okay if you did get upset at the same point. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think it's really important Tom and I talk about it. And there's times where I think... Hmm. maybe I could be a, a bereavement specialist in this area, but you've got to be able to put your, your moments aside and listen to somebody else. And if they want to tell you about their experiences, be able to listen. And I do like to talk a lot, so I've got to be prepared to reserve myself a little bit to listen to them and not gab on about me. And I'm not ready to do that yet. I want to talk about me for a bit longer. Sitting in this chair, I think you would be absolutely incredible at that. And I think sometimes people need to hear as much as they need to speak 
I, you know, I think you could add so much value to the lives of other people, as I'm sure people will tell you when they listen to this podcast. Yeah, well, I hope it. I hope some people see that we can move forward, and hopefully, if this is happening to somebody, they realise that we can get through it together. What would you say to someone that this might have just happened to? Remember that everybody loves you, and. There is so much support out there for you. You're not going through it alone. If you're feeling that you just want to cry, you cry. You go for it because somebody will help you through it. You're loved by your loved ones. And I'm sure there's probably somebody stood right at the side of you holding your hand. And, you know, if you do want to talk, you know, I'll always talk to people that are struggling. But I got through it, so if I can get through it, so can they. Amazing. Thank you so much for being one of my guests. You're welcome. You know, I I cannot put into words how humbling it has been to sit here and listen to your story. And I think you will find that this resonates with so many people who are so grateful for the generosity that you have shown in being so frank and candid and open and honest about sharing something that must have been so incredibly traumatic and Thank you. You're very, well. You're very welcome. Thank you. Where can listeners find out more? I mean, we, we, we're going to write a few bits and pieces in the show notes. So we'll do a link to the Tommy's website, which is a British charity that funds research into miscarriage, stillbirth and premature birth and provides pregnancy health information to parents. We'll also put a link in there to the Sandalwood Hospital, at Step, Sandalwood Unit, beg your pardon, at Stepping Hill Hospital and also the Rainbow Clinic at St Mary's Hospital in Manchester. But obviously podcast guest listeners might be anywhere else in the world so any of those websites I think will provide them really valuable information if anybody wants to get in touch with you directly Jilly you and I have agreed that they can email me and I can pass on their details to you of course um, so I can be emailed at contact at rediscoveryofme.com uh, information is on the website anything more that you would like to share Jilly? I'd just like to say thank you for having me on the show and I do hope that some people listen to this and realise that they're amazing, just like you are as well. And right back at you, Jilly. Thank you. Without doubt, Jilly's story is one of great inspiration and above all else, hope. I think that there's a lot that we can all learn from her story, whether we've lost a baby or not. Jilly's candid pragmatism, her ability to constantly seek connections with normality and her life were critical in pulling her through. She seems to possess an almost superhuman ability to constantly look at the future and the way that she grabs at every opportunity to explore this is inspirational. She always knew that there would be more and that there would be a future even after Elliot. As Jilly says, we all need to talk and let our emotions out when we're ready. Her words, if you don't get up in the morning, you can't get to the next day. Life really does go on. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast and that in some way it's added value to your life. 
Thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Holly Hartley. Please make sure that you tell everyone you know who might benefit from listening all about the Life Stories podcast. It is, of course, free to listen to in any app that supports podcasts. Make sure that you click like and leave me a review and I'd be eternally grateful. I'll see you, you amazing person you, on the next edition of the Rediscovery of Me Life Stories podcast. Remember, one person's story can be someone else's survival guide. You are enough.